There is so much shame associated with rejection, whether it's from a relationship that you've placed your hopes and dreams or the loss of something really important to you. In this episode of the Courage Cast, I'm talking with Kate Warman, the author of Thank You for Rejecting Me, and we're going to talk about how to remove the stigma of rejection and why it's so important to show up as the fullest version of ourselves. You're listening to The Courage Cast, a show to equip and empower women to live bravely. Each week we'll share coaching conversations and stories of women who are willing to face their fear and pursue their purpose. Here's your host, life coach, author, and your secret weapon. Hey friends, my name is Andrea Crisp and I want to welcome you to The Courage Cast today. If this is your first time tuning in, I am so glad that you're here. You know what, we're talking about something that, you know, was a little bit triggering, I'm not going to lie. You know, I don't love rejection, like in any form. (laughs) I have been rejected a lot in my life, you know, whether it's been relationships, jobs, you know, various things, friendships, so many things. But honestly, I've been on this journey myself for a long time to really unpack and uncover, you know, the rejection that was buried deep in my soul as a kid and how that's played out in my life as an adult, why I'm in the places that I've been in and why I've experienced some of the things that I've experienced. And it's never easy. So whether your story of rejection looks a lot like, you know, going through a really tough divorce or maybe feeling, you know, the sting of singleness, Maybe you've lost jobs over and over again, or you just can't seem to find, you know, the people that you want to surround yourself with. And it just feels like you're bumping up against rejection over and over again. Well, you are going to be so encouraged by this conversation that I'm going to have with Kate Warman. Honestly, like I walked away from having chatted with her, just feeling just so inspired to really continue to do the work in my own life. Kate Warman is a California-based relationship coach, an online educator, speaker, and the host of Heart of Dating podcast. Her mission is to empower men and women to have the courage to own their story, walk in victory, thrive in purpose, and discover clarity and vision in their relationships. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with Kate. Kate, thank you so much for being on the Courage Cast today. I'm really excited. You um, just put out a book. It's called Thank You for Rejecting Me, which I was like, what an interesting title. (laughs) Uh, I was like, oh, really? Okay. So uh, thank you for rejecting me. Uh, I've been rejected a lot in my life. So I was like, okay, let me open this book, see what this is all about. Transform pain into purpose and learn to fight for yourself. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrea. So excited to be here. I love when people bring up the title. I'm like, yep. I, every time I hear it, I'm like, it's just fun for me. Like, it's fun. Like, and it's, it's, it is like, it makes, it catches you off guard a little bit. Right. Which is why I kind of wanted it to be that title anyway, because people are like, really? Thank you. I don't, I need to, why, why are we thanking them? You know? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. You know, it's interesting. Cause one of the questions I want to uh, ask you is why you wrote the book, but you know, it's, it, when we think about the fact that people rejected us, a lot of the times we want to hide that fact yeah. or 
we want to there's a lot of shame associated with it so mm-hmm. it's like well I really you know prefer not everybody to know my you know gory details of my love life yeah. or what's happened whether you're single married been divorced you know all those things and um, I'm single yeah. I'm in my 40s never been married mm-hmm. so you know it's I've I've had my my fair share of you know rejection throughout my life yeah and so I'm really interested to hear your take but what was the catalyst for you mm. to actually write this book yeah so originally when I you know was on the path to writing a book I was like I'm just gonna write like a dating memoir or dating 101 since I am a dating coach but as I was really processing through it I took an afternoon um I remember it was on a Sunday and I was putting on some like wonderful music I was coloring which is kind of my way to get creative honestly like Mm -hmm. um just it it ignites something in my brain and as I was doing that it just became so clear in my mind and heart that you're supposed to write about rejection and the whole afternoon I remember I just outlined it in a few hours sent it over to my agent and was like this is crazy but this all just came to me and he was like this is what you're supposed to do if it came that quickly and that clearly this is where you're supposed to go. And, but it's obviously more than that. My story has so much to do with rejection of many kinds. So I am a dating coach, but it's not just in dating, you know, rejection from our family, rejection from when we were young and somebody rejected us or didn't, we didn't fit in with all the people, girls in school. We don't even think as adults, like you're in your forties, I'm in my thirties. Like sometimes we're like, Oh, that was a long time ago. Like that doesn't affect me. And I'm like, Yes, it does. (laughs) You know, and a lot of those rejections, especially in our early years, have impacted how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we engage with the world, and of course, how we show up in relationships. And what I've often found in my own life, as also uh, coupled with how I've coached people, is that versus me being trying to be Will Smith Hitch, the female version where I'm just getting everyone a date, I realized that before I help people get dates, we really had to address, you know, the ways they see themselves, the ways they self-reject and also their, their um, relationship with rejection and what's making them so fearful of stepping out there and putting themselves out there. Now that applies to dating, but it applies to really so many areas in life. And so I realized like, man, also while I researched it and realized how many times in my life, I wanted to read a book on rejection when I was in the throes of rejection, but there really weren't that many books out there because I doubt many people wake up and are like, yeah, let me write about rejection today. You know, it's just not like the most appealing topic when you think about it. Uh, But it was so clear to me that this needed to be addressed before I ever, you know, wrote a book on just, you know, healthy dating. We really need to address what are the rejections that have happened in your life that affect who you are today? Um, how can we heal over those and be able to build strength and gain more tools so that we can face future rejection? Because no matter what, those future rejections will happen. Like it's just, we cannot, we can try to hide and be on our own island, but rejection is still going to happen no matter what we do. Uh, but I believe it, it doesn't have to cripple us. It doesn't have to be so scary. We can kind of go into it with the strength and endurance saying, yeah, it's going to happen. But now I've healed from the ones in the past. I know how to respond. I have stronger tools and therefore it doesn't become so daunting. And so uh, this book is really my story, but also practical tools on how to conquer rejection in its myriad of forms, which we go through in each different chapter. 
You talk about, you know, showing up. And so, so many women, you know, whether it's for a job, whether it's for something that they want to do personally or a relationship, Mm. myself included, you know, have this, you know, fear of actually showing up as themselves. Why do you think, you know, and you, you do talk a little bit about some of your own history and, you know, the fact that you were in, in therapy yourself and you, you talk about onsite, which I've yeah. heard about, you know, many people just talking about, but, and for those of you who don't know what onsite is, it's um, kind of more of an intensive therapy for a week. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like, why do we not show up mm. as the fullest version of ourselves? Yeah. I think a lot of times we're not showing up because we are rejecting ourselves before others even have a chance to reject us. And so we don't step out for the opportunity because we don't think we're qualified or we've experienced rejection before and we're so afraid of that pain happening again. And so we won't put ourselves out there. And that could look like a relationship, but it could also look like a job opportunity. You know, you got turned down from a job opportunity, you put yourself out there and you got that door shut in your face. And now you're like, well, I'm not going to do that again, you know, because Mm. depending on your relationship with that rejection, right? So it doesn't always end up that way, but oftentimes what happens when we're not showing up in our lives, it's because we're not facing those pains. We're not facing the lies that come with rejection. Um, And a lot of those lies have actually been implanted really early on in our lives. And so we're a lot of times walking out here, like as adults, and I, I, unfortunately, I see so many mentally sick adults. And what I mean by that is just like adults today who, and and let be honest, like my parents' generation, for example, really didn't believe in that much therapy. And so I see it in my parents. I see it in my parents, people who are my parents' age, where like there's a stigma around therapy and getting help. That's like, wait, you don't need to do that. That's for messed up people. And yet I'm like, wait a second, but you're walking around with like a backpack of pains and burdens and beliefs, and you're just living that way as if it's normal, (laughs) but it's not. And that there's, and there's actually freedom. If we sort through those things in the backpack, which are really, really hard to do. Like if we do that though, we can live so much freer, lighter, more whole, more clear. And so, uh, yeah, I just, I want to remove the stigma that needing help and going through the pain is a bad thing. Uh, if you, no matter what age you are, no matter if you're single or married, you know, there may be something that happened when you were 10 years old, when you were 15 years old, when you were 20 years old, that impacted you deeply. And today, years and years and years later, you may be living with that identity still in your mind. And it may be the exact reason why you just can't get over whatever X thing it is, you know? And so if that's the case, we need to go back and, and heal from it and process it and find the tools so that you can start avoiding, you know, going back into those pits in the future. You know, one of the things that I have discovered for myself is really, you know, learning that so often I project the very thing that I fear Mm. is going to happen. So a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies going on in my life, whether it, you know, had to do with my work situation or relationships. And I remember, you know, different times, um, saying in high school, and now I regret saying this, but I mean, it's for a reason now, but uh, I I remember saying, I'm probably gonna be the last of our friends to get married. Mm. Now there is one more girl 
that is in the friend group, she's still not married either. Okay. So I was like, you better get married soon. <laughs> we joke about it. She's like, that is not an actual thing, Andrea. But um, but in in this in the same way that you know I joke about that particular thing, there's so many other things that I internalized yeah. and believed to be true. And then projected into relationships and then wondered why they were consistently happening over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And for you, like, how was it? How did you just really discover, like, how do you break that pattern of saying, okay, this is happening? Maybe they don't even know. Maybe you don't even know why it's happening. Yeah. But how did you break the pattern, the cycle so that you know, you can help other people do the same thing. Yeah. I think the first step is to basically you have to get to some sort of breaking point to say, you know what? I can live in these mentalities. I can do it. I, it can kind of feel comfortable sometimes to keep living. Like I'm going to be the only single girl on the left on the planet or that no guy is ever going to choose me. Or I'm, of course I didn't get that job. That makes sense. I'm not that talented. I'm not that interesting. I'm not that smart. It, you can stay living in those mentalities. Um, uh, and and it can feel comfortable and validating, but it will never make you get the very thing you're wanting to get, which is a sense of wholeness, a sense of love and connection and belonging. And so you really have to get to a point of saying, you know what? No person on the planet is going to make me, no job on the planet, no anybody on the planet or anything on the planet is going to make me feel whole and fulfilled and into whatever the word is. Um, if I, if I live in these mentalities, they're not going to be able to transform these mindsets. Really, the reality comes to that you are the only person that has the control of transforming your mind. And no matter what kind of love and no matter what kind of person loves you as best as they can, it will never fully transform the beliefs you have about yourself. You have to be the one to, to reach a breaking point to say, I want to take back the ownership and power in my life. And I want to transform these thoughts. And so you have to reach a breaking point. That's the first thing I say to anyone. And when I'm coaching people, that's the first thing I'm like, well, are you ready? Like, do you want to be healed? That's the question. Do you want to be healed of these mindsets? Because sometimes people don't want to be, you know? And I'm like, right. if you actually want to be healed of these mindsets, like be, there's a lot of work involved. So, you know, it's like going to the gym. I'm like, do you actually want to get in shape? Like truly. <laughs> Like, I mean, uh, really, really, because mm. if you don't, then we could try this for a little bit, but you're going to give up if you don't have a D if you're not at a breaking point with the way these mindsets are um, plaguing you. And so you have to reach a breaking point, And then from there, you know, you have to start transforming your mind. And this is really difficult, but it's a process. And um, if you have enough fire within you, if you can see how much your self-fulfilling prophecy mindsets, your scarcity mindsets are not serving you, then you can continue to cling on to hope. You can continue to cling on to endurance. And that will get you to continue to conquer these mindsets. The reality of some of the mindsets that we live in that are holding us back is They've been there for years and years. They are thick and deep neuropathways in our brain. And that the science will tell you about that probably existed for a very long time. And the first thing we have to do after we reach the breaking point is not shame ourselves that we have those mentalities, you know, because yeah. that the shame will never actually help us to conquer the mentality. If I'm like, well, Kate, you should be over that by now. I mean, that happened so long ago, girl. I mean, it won't actually help me to conquer that mentality if I speak to myself that way. 
So instead, you need to then go into the crevices of your mind and say, well, how did I get here? How can I be compassionately curious about my uh, about my history and my process? And who was the first person that spoke this thing over me? Or when did that belief start forming? And so go into it with compassion and with curiosity to just say, how did this form? There's a reason that it formed somewhere in your life. And don't judge yourself as you do, because you may find, I talk about this in chapter one, that my Aunt Deb said a comment to me when I was 10 or 11 years old about my smile. And for her, it's like this fleeting moment. She probably doesn't even remember it. But for me, yeah. it was the stake in the ground that I still remember that really impacted my view of myself and um, developed a lot of insecurity in me. And and so I, for a long time, I was like, that feels embarrassing. It's just one moment where she like commented on my smile. But for me, it was pivotal for me. Somehow it stood in my memory so clearly, like I can remember it clear as day right now. So that moment has weight and I don't want to judge that moment. I just want to be compassionately curious because once you discover the moments that have led to the lies you believe, it's, it's so freeing. You're like, wow, that makes sense. Oh my gosh. And then you can start showering yourself with compassion, man. I'm so sorry. That person said that over you. Like I'm that that's terrible that your mm -hmm. aunt Deb told you that your smile was fake. You know, th that would hurt, you know, that would hurt. I can see where those insecurities formed. And so as you start getting compassionately curious, then you can say, okay, I'm getting gaining an understanding of where that lie came from and why and how it's been perpetuated over the years. Now that I can see that, what do I want to believe instead? Like, what is it? So if it's my smile that I want to believe that I have a beautiful smile and that I'm a beautiful woman, no matter what size my body is this year, because you know, in your thirties, that ch changes a lot. Okay. Um, I think just over Wait till your forties. Yeah, <laughs> I just had two best friends turn 40. So I'm, I, we've been talking a lot about this, but, um, and so, you know, and then it's like, okay, what do I want to believe in said? Now it, that's a one time that I say that, yeah. but this is a continual process. I see it so many times in the book and speaking back to onsite, which is that therapy retreat center. There's a phrase they use there that is so funny that we all laugh about, but I think of it all the time, which is just to trust the process and, um, trusting the process looks like, Hey, the process of renewing your mind of transforming your belief system about yourself is going to take time. And there are going to be moments yeah. where you fall back into that neuro pathway that says I'm ugly, or I'm not pretty, or I'm going to be the only single girl left. And don't shame yourself for those moments, but catch them and say, okay, I see what's going on here. I remember how right. that thought does not serve me. And I'm not going to shame myself for getting back to that thought. I'm just going to instead redirect myself. Like that's what we got to do. Just keep redirecting. And over time, you'll create a new pathway in your brain. It just, it takes a long time to rewire the one that's been there for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. Hey friend, I know what it's like to go through rejection because I've been there. The feeling of hopelessness and just not really knowing where to turn. You've placed all of your hopes and dreams into maybe one person or having something happen that just didn't happen the way you wanted it to. And that affects everything. It affects relationships with your family and your friends. It affects your business and it also affects the way that you live every day, how intentional you are about your purpose which is why I would love to chat with you about how you can start 
to really get that healing you need and realign your mindset with your purpose so that you don't have to struggle anymore with trying to figure out where you fit in or if you really need that person's approval to do what it is that you feel compelled to do in your life. So I'd love to just sit down with you and talk about what's happening in your life and how you can start moving forward. I've carved out time for conversations just like this. So if you'd like to book a strategy session with me, you can go to andreacrisp.ca forward slash schedule and book your free 30 minute coaching session with me. Hope we can talk soon. I like how you're pointing out some things that might feel insignificant yes. in, in the, when it's happening. I remember when I was in uh, my first year of going to youth camp and I was really uh, attracted to this kid and I went up and talked to him. My friends were all talking to him. He was a couple of years older than me mm. and it was my very first year. So I was young. Mm. And when he asked me how old I was, he probably assumed I was a little older and I said 12 and he responded with this, you know, he was like, oh, okay, bye. Oh, oh and my gosh, okay. Yeah, but I didn't realize it. I was 12. I was very naive. Yeah. I was just kind of not really paying a whole lot of attention. Mm. And had that happened and I never knew anything about it beyond that, I would have been like, mm -hmm. okay, no big deal. But what ended up happening from that was the boys from that group, his, his group of yes. friends, they actually started using the term, oh, okay, bye, to uh, all the girls that they wanted to dismiss. Oh, wow. Okay. And they would start using the number 12 as a joke. Oh, wow. And they would start calling people 12. Oh, you're 12. Um, well, I was like, I don't know, a couple of years later before I realized this is actually about me. Mm, wow. And this huge <laughs> joke that had going, gone around camp and around whatever. And so, I mean, it seems super insignificant, mm. like really it does. But what I didn't realize, you know, until much, much later mm. when I started to unpack some of the things that you're talking about and really dive into like, well, why am I projecting these things? And what's actually happening? This is more than just like, I'm not good enough or I'm not putting it, putting out this quality or that quality, you know, like when mm. I started to really dive in, I, that was one of the stories that kind of came up for me. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, there was a lot of shame involved. And I, and I thought, well, it was interesting that you point that out because I did have to change the narrative. Yeah. I did have to go back and go, you know what, Andrea, you were, you were already enough then mm. but because he was insecure yeah he judged you by your age yes yes and he used that and then the rest of them use this as a joke because of when they feel as though like you know whatever whatever yes. narrative. yeah and I had to to revisit that narrative and go that actually wasn't about me mm -hmm. even though it was my you know, experience. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I like that you point out because I think there are so many things that we get rooted in shame mm. because we feel as though there's, and, and it did form these neural pathways of thinking, well, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm not yes. going to be chosen. I'm going to, someone's going to make a joke of me yes. all the time. I'm going to be dismissed. Yeah. And so those things, I think, are so pivotal for our lives moving forward because whether it's in a job circumstance, whether it's in 
entrepreneurship, whether mm. it's in a new relationship, friend or, you know, a uh, romantic relationship, mm. those same things just keep prop like coming up over and over again yep. as little signals to say, Andrea, you were dismissed. Mm. Andrea, you were a joke. Yeah. And, and, and I think that when we're going through some of these things, like when you're saying is really taking a look back and saying, that's not my, that's not really my story. I mean, it did happen to me. It's my experience, but you know, that's not how I have to live. Yeah. And I think that is just so important. And you also, you talk a lot about in your book about, you know, when we face betrayal, yeah. like what happens when we're betrayed. And I was, as I was reading through, you know, I was thinking about, of course, I have been betrayed in romantic <laughs> relationships. And of course that root, that stings to hear that, um, to hear, you know, when I think about those stories and different, you know, how, yeah. how often it's happened. Um, yeah. And I want to say, if anybody's listening, like if you've been betrayed, you're not the first person. Yes. Oh my God. We don't often talk about it, but yeah. But in the same way, you mentioned that you were betrayed by a friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to uh, just ask you a little bit about that as well, because yeah. I think that's so important too, because we, we put a lot of uh, emphasis on, you know, betrayal romantically, but what about when we're betrayed in other ways in friendship? Like how does that work in tandem with each other? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, betrayal can happen in so many different forms and fashions. I think when we say betrayal, it's like, oh, it's cheating and somebody cheated and I've definitely been cheated on. I talk about that in the book, but betrayal happens more than that. You know, I was betrayed in my younger years from friends, and I'll speak to the one I mentioned in the book, even from a family member. And so what happens is you start noticing like these patterns of deception and it starts forming, at least for me. And I've said this, I didn't mention it quite in the book, but for me, a, a narrative I believe for a long time was that, um, there's a line of deception in my life. That's what I believe that there's this line of deception and that, I try to see the best in people and they're never who I think they are. And so it comes back to like, do I really trust myself? Which I talk about in that chapter, but I did have a friend and this story is way too long to share on the podcast because I think it could be its own book, to be honest with you. But I had a be very best friend and giving you the spark notes version, somebody that I grew to love and know and trust. And she came to visit me when I was studying abroad. I got very ill. She took care of me and she just became one of my closest friends. Now, her story and her history was very, very crazy, very traumatic. And she was a part of a cult actually growing up that is very, very traumatic for her life. Um, and I saw that and I had such compassion for her. Like, oh, some of the brokenness she's still dealing with is clearly because she grew up in this cult and it was very it messed with her, you know? Mm -hmm. um, years later, I come to find out Andrea, that she faked her entire identity to me for multiple years. My very best friend, every single thing I knew about her, minus her being in a cult. That was the one true fact. Every single other thing about her from her name to her boyfriends, to her friends, to everything, health problems was a lie. And um, it was the most traumatic. It was one of the most traumatic things that's ever happened to me, which is why I didn't include it in the book. Cause I'm like, this could be an entire, I might write like a, really a fictional book about this, <laughs> a non -fi a fictional story to do with this. Cause it's the craziest thing ever. But 
um, it really, it shook me. Um, it shook me for such a loop because I was like, wait, this person that was my best friend, you're telling me mm-hmm. that when I called her and talked to her on the phone and she was telling me about a fight she had with her boyfriend to come to find out that boyfriend was fake, like was a made up person. It just like so many things in my mind, like I was manipulated. I was used. I like, Oh my gosh. And it's painful. That pain of intimacy of allowing someone intimately close into your life and feeling like you trust them. And you're one of my people. Mm -hmm. And this can be just as painful from a friendship or from a family member as it can with a significant other because again, those are all intimate relationships where you are letting that person see you, where you are trusting them. And what betrayal essentially is, is a big break of trust. And so this to me shook me for a loop to have this person. And I I mean, this is a very extreme example. You can go through betrayal in, in other ways and it can still be incredibly painful. But this one was like the ultimate, you're telling me for three or more years, everything I've known about you is a lie. I... I don't even, I can't even like the, the friendship was over, but it really then made me sent me on a tailspin of questioning, like what's wrong with me? How did I believe these things? How did I miss these things? Like what's going, Kate, what's wrong with you? And then there, all those lies come in about whether you're being cheated on or whether this friend of mine cheated me in a way because she manipulated me yeah. for years. I was like, what, what did I do? You know? And I think this is an important fact. Um, a lot of times in the wake of an initial sting or pain of rejection like this, I just think that that initial moment is not the time to ask why did it happen or um, what did I, why did I miss this? Because y- most likely in most of the cases when you've just been hit down and you're, you know, you have a gaping wound on your chest, um, it's not the time to then come in with all the why, 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 because usually when you're in that vulnerable place, you'll just direct the finger at yourself. You'll blame yourself. You'll say, this is me. I did this either that, or you'll blame it on that person. You'll demonize that person and you'll create a lot of anger and resentment towards that person. And so sure there's potentially radical ownership to be taken. Um, and, and things that I maybe miss, maybe I trust this person too quickly. Maybe I miss red flags and signs, but I just believe that right in the sting of a rejection is not the moment to question that. Please tend to your healing heart, your hurting heart, um, and start healing that and moving forward. Just what, not why did this happen, but what can I do today to start moving forward in the wake of this devastating blow, no matter what it is. And so even in betrayal, like start tending to your heart and building back trust with yourself. And then eventually there'll be a time and space for you to say, okay, what kind of ownership can I take here? What, what are maybe some things that I missed? Um, what can I learn? Because obviously the thing we don't want to do is go through that again. Um, and not that we're going to live our life in fear that betrayal will happen again or rejection will happen again, but no, there's ownership I can take in some capacity. There's probably some things I missed and I want to be aware of those, but I just want to make that important distinction because we try so often, Andrea, to go into that hole right away. And I think it just, it can go into a downward spiral that just leads in more lies that we believe about ourselves or about the person. So 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think that I have been guilty of that many times Yeah, of wanting to know, well, why? Yes. What did I do? Why did this happen? Uh-huh. How did, you know, could I have prevented this? And you're like spinning out of control when things are happening, like just after the, the, the crisis or trauma or rejection has taken place. And you're trying to find all these answers to make yourself feel better. But I think what you're saying is, is really taking that time to heal, step yes. back and get healing before then you and ever ask yourself any questions of what you need to do to move forward. It's interesting that you, you mentioned trust because that's the one thing that I really wanted to kind of camp on yeah. kind of like as even as we're closing out today. But one of my personal words for the year yeah. is trust and connection. Wow. And, um, you know, and I, I really, I was, I, I'm just going to be just, honest yeah totally honest. yeah do it girl <laughs> i'm like might as well just go. we don't have a lot of time left but i'm gonna just go with honesty i i looked at your book and i was like oh yeah it looks like flowers and pink and yeah nice and i'm just gonna be nice little nice book <laughs> and um and i started reading it and i was like i was super triggered mm. and i was just like thinking to myself you know i don't really want to read this like i don't really want to know this like not that I don't know the information or I don't know what's you know but in my mind is like there's so much of my own healing and transformation and mm. trust that needs to be rebuilt yeah that there was part of me that was like do I really want to have this conversation right now yeah like yeah like really yeah I want to have this conversation mm-hmm. and the reason I say that is because I think so often we sugarcoat where we are and what's going on yeah trying to make things look a little bit glossier than they really are and i've been in a healing uh journey of my own for the past few years you don't know about it the listeners know more yeah (laughs) and we don't have time to go into it but let's just say this trust and connection for me Mm. you know when i'm looking at being in ministry and leaving ministry Mm. deconstructing faith yeah having a major heartbreak mm. at afterwards as well. Wow. Following that um, anxiety and depression, the whole nine yards, right? To me, trust and connection with myself, mm. with others and with God has been kind of like at the forefront for this year. Yes. Yeah. And really saying like, I am willing to let go of people, things, things that don't serve me anymore. Yeah things about myself that don't serve me anymore. Yeah. And really getting honest and real about saying, how do I trust myself again? Mm -hmm. Trust my intuition to know when there are red flags, like you said. Yeah. Um, But also to know that, you know what, stuff's going to happen and people are still going to hurt you. Yeah. And you're not always going to get it right. And, you know, God's not a genie in a bottle. Right. And, you know, all of these things. And so I would love to know, like, you know, what, what sort of advice or thoughts do you have maybe around, you know, deepening trust and connection when mm. it comes to ourselves, others, and even spiritually? Yeah, such a good question and a good and an amazing journey you're going on. Uh, it's funny that you say those three categories because 
when I date coach people one-on-one, um, those are the three categories. We separate the vision that we do into. We, I always start with <laughs> what's your relationship with God and what do you want that to be? What do you, what is your relationship with yourself and what do you want that to be? And then what's your relationship with others, which includes dating and what do you want that to be? And we talk through those three categories and we're constantly working on those three categories. So I love that you just said that because it's, on my heart that relationships isn't just okay how do i interact with the world it's relationships is the three uh, part that you're just saying andrea it's what do i believe about myself what is my relationship with myself how do i trust myself um and do i actually like myself which is a part of that too because if you don't like yourself you probably don't trust yourself (laughs) um (laughs) and what is my relationship with god or whatever you might believe like what what is my relationship to the divine and what is there something there that i'm manifesting that's potentially negative or toxic or resentful um and what do i have to address there and then what's my relationship with others uh am i really needy in relationships do i rarely do have i built up a fortress and i have so such strict boundaries that nobody can come in um am i do i have very porous boundaries and just let anybody i i'm constantly doing stuff for people because that's my sense of validation of like sure i'll do that or yeah i'll drop the plans to help you there like you know and so I think part of this process is learning first starting with the god piece in yourself and realizing especially when it comes to yourself, like, who am I? Um, who have I, have I uniquely been formed and shaped to be? And honestly, writing those things down. Um, when I coach people date, in terms of dating, we always, you know, they're like, here's your, here's my list of non-negotiables. I'm like, okay, well, first of all, we'll address those. <laughs> um, but I always try to make some of my clients do this before we even talk about what you're looking for in somebody else. I'm like, what, what do you have to offer? Um, do you know yourself enough to know what you bring to the table in a relationship? Because you need to know that you're not that girl or that guy or whatever. Like you are exactly who you're supposed to be and you are learning and growing and and transforming through time. Hopefully, um, if they're doing coaching, I'm, I'm very, I'm, it's promising that they are growing, but anyway, um, that's a very big prerequisite, but who are you? What do you have to bring to the table? What are the amazing, unique things that make you, you, you need to know those things. Um, and once you know those things and you can stand firm on those things, you're less likely to flex and shape and be a chameleon. And you're more likely to stand confidently in who you are, um, in that whole layer of knowing yourself and knowing what you have to offer is what is your belief system? You know, what do you stand on and stand for? So, what do you believe about some of the current issues that we've been going through in our world? Like, what is it that ignites your heart on fire? You know, like, but literally it's like those questions where you're like, what, what is it that you stand for? Um, and what are your convictions in your heart? We all have them in some capacity. Sometimes we're nervous to say them because we want to just adhere to whatever we, we want to be a people pleaser. So I always encourage people, no, like know what you stand for um, and be able to stand up for that in conversations, but also be willing to do so in such a way where you're also open and, and just have a posture of curiosity for why somebody disagrees with you or sees something in a different way. I think that's really important right now. But so you know yourself, you know what you have to offer, 
then what it, what convictions do you have? And then from there, like what boundaries do you need to put into place so that you continually are tending to your heart um, and tending to what makes you you? We know often when our gas tank is on empty, you know, it's like I am just, and that's where we hit emotional burnout. If I'm constantly doing and I'm constantly giving, whether it's in work or in friendships or to my church community, if you're going to church, then you're not actually pouring into yourself. And how can you give to anybody else if you're not actually pouring into yourself? And I see that as a huge problem in today's culture that we're just, we're living on one of those two binaries. We're either over giving and we are therefore nothing because we are giving to everybody or we're so self-protecting that we are not allowing anybody in. And it's like, this is my space and my fortress and my vault, and I won't let anybody in at all. And then we're not seen and truly known. And that is also detriment. So this is very nuanced and complicated. And, you know, but I would say the knowing yourself piece and building trust with those elements, like standing firm on those things um, will help you so much because then you can learn to trust yourself in terms of what your body is saying, you know yourself. So when there's a tightening in my chest, I'm like, Ooh, something feels off here. And that's That's not just because uh, I'm stressed. It's because there's something that's actually potentially off. And I want to pay attention to that. But if I'm so clouded by everything else, then I won't even be able to recognize what that tightening in my chest is or, or that it's even there. Right. And so those moments are really important, but this is a journey of getting to know yourself really, and knowing what boundaries you need to have in order to take care of yourself. And then when you do step out into relationships, you are You're using all of those things at once. It's all functioning together. And when you're out with somebody or speaking with someone, you can more intricately and properly and clearly discern, like, what is my experience here with this person? You know, what am I actually feeling around them? Um, And it's, I'm not here to impress them. I'm here to just be myself and also just genuinely be curious about them. But when you choose people to let into your life, it's so important that you first know yourself and be in touch with your body and what it's saying to you, because then you can pay attention to those cues when you're meeting people. Um, My biggest thing has been in the past that I love charismatic extroverted people and oftentimes <laughs> narcissists come off as very charismatic outwardly, you know? And so (laughs) I would be like attaching myself to these charismatic people that I got along with so well. And I'm like, let's be best friends, whether it's a friend or a guy I'm like, let's date. But now I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to judge them for being charismatic, but I'm more, I'm more aware of what is my body actually saying in their presence? Like, do I feel that any of this is forced? What do I, what do I feel? My body now tells me, you know? And so uh, I hope that doesn't sound too hippy dippy, but I really believe it. No, you're you're speak you're speaking my language. I'm <laughs> and I'm pretty sure anybody who's listening has probably heard me say similar things. Yeah. But in this context, I love how you're framing it, mm. and so it it just makes so much sense. Um, now, I just want to ask you one question that I usually ask all the guests yeah. before we end every episode, and. Um, I'm going to have all the links to your book and oh, to where you can you, uh, find you on Instagram. But where is it? Where are you on the web? Just so people know. Yeah. Um, so they can come over on Instagram. I'm at Kateness, which is K-A-I-T-N-E-S-S. Art of Dating is my podcast. And we have an Instagram and a website and a Facebook group. So any of those things, especially if you're single and wanting to date of any age, like truly, um, whether you're like, 
um, 18 and 20 or whether in your 50s and you're widowed or just single, um, come and join us because we're talking a lot about stuff to do with dating. (laughs) Awesome. Now, the one question I want to leave you with is what is your next brave step? Mm. Oh my gosh, I love that. What is my next brave step? So here it is for me. I um, actually behind me right now, you can see it, Andrea, is my vision board that I created for myself. And the first, I, I had saved a few things that I wanted to do until I was married. Um, and I had been, I've been stripping those things over the last few years, kind of like just no living into it now. But there are a few things where it's like I'm still gonna wait. Two of those things I've decided to do this year. And one of them was get a dog. (laughs) So I just got one. (laughs) I just got a puppy. And honestly, it's first of all, that was a brave step. Because let me tell you, having a puppy and being a single person is like being a single mother. Okay. Like (laughs) I am up a few times during the night letting this puppy out and I love her. But I'm also like, wow, like it is just me taking care of this animal right now. (laughs) And she is trying to figure out her bladder control. It's quite comical. But so that was my brave step. I was always like, I'm waiting till I have somebody else to share those duties with. But then this year I was like, no, I'm not, I'm doing it. The second thing I'm doing, and that's a brave step for me is I'm buying a house as a single woman. I always said, I'm going to wait to do that again till I, you know, have somebody, but I'm not, I'm doing it this year. And I'm starting my own family with my own little child, which is my dog and my home. And we're just going to make that step. You know, I, I've been feeling this year, a lot of, a lot of my friends are right now having babies. I love it for them. Great. Um, but all of a sudden, Andrea, my baby fever started turning on where I was like, what is happening? Why do, why do I suddenly want a baby? This is so weird. Like, um, cause I never had it before. I just was like, that's cute. I would like a child one day, but this year it just has been like, I want a baby. And so, you know, I got a jog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great starting, great starting point. And I, you know, wholeheartedly second that decision. <laughs> so <laughs> also it's a great, great for like physical touch. I'm getting puppy cuddles like girl this is i'm like you you, it's amazing (laughs) yes i i completely understand i completely understand now thank you so much for being on the courage cast today i i just can't wait to see what comes next for you but i just really appreciate you taking the time today thanks andrea this has been so fun (laughs) you know i think i'm really going to look at rejection differently from now on And there were so many takeaways from our conversation that I just jotted down afterwards. And I just want to share a few of them with you because, you know, I think it's so important for us to, you know, take what we're learning and really apply it to our lives. And one of the things that that stood out to me was when Kate said to me, you know, the initial moment of the rejection is not the time to ask why this happened. Now, I am totally guilty of doing this, honestly. Uh, I've done it many, many times, like wanting to know the answer because sometimes we want to fill that void with this, well, why? Like, was it the timing? Was I the wrong person? Did I not look a certain way? Did I not act a certain way? Was it something about me? Uh, And then we, you know, start pointing the finger inward at ourselves like you know there's so many things wrong with me and you know I just never can make things work you know and alternately we can also do that with the other person and really shifting the blame to them not being able to truly take ownership over maybe where we went wrong in the relationship 
and also how they contributed to that as well. So when you're in that place, when you're being rejected, I want to encourage you, like take a step back and don't start to ask yourself why that might come in time, but in the initial rejection, that is definitely not what you want to be focusing on. Instead, start to look at how you can heal from the rejection in your life. Like what are the the triggers, the patterns that keep coming over and over again? And, you know, ask yourself, what do I have to offer? Like, what am I bringing to the table here? I think, you know, so many women, when they're talking to me, even about getting married or having someone in their life, they have this like list of things that they want to find in a person. But the truth is, is that they're not really looking at what they're bringing to the table, what they have to offer in a relationship. And so ask yourself, like, what are the things that I'm working on in my own life? How can I be more conscious of who I am becoming and really attract a person into my life that is on par with where I'm at and stop looking for people to, you know, fix the things that I have gone through in my life or fix those um, situations that I went through, you know, as a kid maybe with family members, because I think it's important that we find the love for ourselves first and really know the security and the safety that we bring to the table just by being who we are, not having to be anything else for um, that other person other than who we are genuinely. So I want to encourage you that you know, as you are walking through your own rejection story, as you are kind of doing this journey to really find someone to support you along the way, to hold you accountable as you are moving forward, because I know this work can be sometimes really daunting and can be heavy at times. But if you are really serious about getting healed so that you can be in a relationship that flourishes and that feels really good for you, then I want to encourage you to take those steps, whether it's, you know, get getting a therapist or hiring a coach, really someone to walk you through the process. And if you'd be so kind to let us know, like, how did this episode, you know, shift things for you? What are you taking away? Screenshot that you listened to the episode and tag myself at, at Andrea Crisp Coach and at the Dot Courage Cast, as well as Kate Warman at, at Kateness, and let us know what you're going to be taking away from this episode. I want to say a huge thanks to Kate for being on the Courage Cast as well. So make sure you check out her book. All of her links are located in the show notes at thecouragecast.com. If you like this episode of The Courage Cast, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review, and while you're there, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Original music and production by Stephen Crilly.